and we're rolling. We're live. How are you doing today, Julie? I am great. Thank you so much. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Um, I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. It's such an honor and a privilege. I wasn't sure if you would accept it. I mean, because you're a judge, it's kind of like one of those intimidate, intimidating things. Like, you know, typically when we think of a judge, we think of somebody who is in robes and um, we think of somebody who uh, takes authority when they walk into a room. So it's a little bit intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly the reason why I love that you invited me. Mm. Because I am still a person. Yeah. I mean, everybody has a job that they do. My job is a little bit different than a lot of other people's. And sometimes the mystery of it or the stereotypes or the persona doesn't really match up to how it is. Yeah. And one of my goals is to break those stereotypes of what is a judge? What are judges like? You know, sometimes even in the courtroom, I'll get done talking to somebody and they'll just like spontaneously yell out um, something like, you know, uh, you don't sound like a judge or you don't seem like uh, an average judge or... Um, you're not what I thought a judge would be like or something. And and then they kind of like step back and like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that because it just came out like spontaneously. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's actually wonderful. I appreciate knowing, you know, what your thoughts and feelings are in district court. A lot of times it's the first time that people come to court. Yeah. And it's super important to me to change the perception, the persona of what coming to court is like and how you're going to be treated and how I am going to be perceived as a judge. So that's one thing. Um, I just released an episode today with Nick Ladorf. Okay. And him and I, in that episode, him and I talked about, um, like when you go to court, he, he was saying that going to court's not fun. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he's a lawyer and so he's had to go several times, but he was saying that the whole dynamic between judges and like the people who are, um, in court, like it's, it's almost like this power, power thing. And it, mm. it, it sets the people apart. It's a weird dynamic. And so I guess that's kind of important that you, you take the time to be more personable and, and uh, uh, put yourself on a, a personal level with the people who come into your courtroom. Now, yeah. what kind of um, court hearings or what kind of things do you typically uh, rule over? Well, in district court, the easiest way to explain it is that everything starts there. So, for example, if somebody came in to get arraigned on a crime, it would start with that. So we would do the arraignment where you explain, you know, what are you charged with? What are the maximum possible consequences? How do you want to plead to that? Let's set up some court dates. Let's determine your bond. Let's determine the bond conditions. Let's get you your paperwork. Let's get you started on, you know, stuff that you're going to be probably asked to do as part of your bond. So it starts from the very beginning in a criminal process with arraignments. Then for misdemeanors, I would hear a case from the first second all the way to the end, whether that re was in a, like a plea and then a sentence, whether it ended up going to a jury trial. So we do jury trials on misdemeanors in district court. And then for felony cases, which is anything that a person could receive more than one year in jail for, it still starts in district court where we do the arraignment, the bond, set the court date, the status conference, determine if they're going to have a preliminary exam, evidentiary hearing, determine if there's enough evidence for the case to go to trial or to be bound over to circuit court. So it's kind of that gatekeeper role right then. And so if a person waives the exam, then the case continues to circuit court for ultimate disposition on a felony. If they have the exam, the evidentiary hearing, witnesses, evidence, testimony comes in, it's kind of like a mini trial where my role is to determine is there probable cause to determine that there's enough evidence for the case to continue to trial. If not, the case could be dismissed then or the charges could be reduced. And if there is, then it would be bound over to circuit court. So, And then civil cases, the same thing, like everything starts in district court. So I have small claims. I have general civil cases. I have landlord-tenant cases. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you do anything with... Uh, um, uh, uh, 
can't think of the um like, like family law or probate yeah, yeah oh. pro- probate Thank i was you. just thinking as i was going through stuff like <clears throat> it might be easier to say what don't what doesn't come <laughs> <laughs> like do an opposite list what doesn't come in district court or okay. what don't i hear okay so in district court we don't have any family law matters that's okay. a circuit court okay and we don't have any probate court matters that goes in front of our probate court judge the probate judge only hears probate matters okay guardianship conservatorships things of that nature so okay i was just curious because i would i would assume that having that come into your courtroom that would be difficult to make certain decisions i feel like it'd just be difficult it would it'd be it would be difficult like i i recently within the last few years had to go to probate court because i found out that i had a a son and that i didn't really know about and um found out about it later through the mom giving a dna test or not the mom, the uh, the grandma. She agreed to do a DNA test behind the mom's back. Okay. And so when I found out that I was 99.999% the father, I, I decided to hire a lawyer and then go to court. And it was through Eaton County. Okay. And uh, the judge didn't rule in my favor. Um, and because there there's a law, right? Like three years or something. You have up to three years to find out uh, if the child's yours and established paternity rights. Um, I'm not sure what the time frame is to establish, but I do okay. know there's like a presumption of uh, parentage that happens over a period of time. Like if another person steps in the role of the parent. Yeah, and that was the case. Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah, there was there was another father uh, figure, and uh, he had been established from birth. Okay. But he wasn't the father. So. I think especially with family law cases in that scenario even um, – it's very fact specific. And know, what, what do you as, mean? I mean, like, well, like what you're saying, because there was somebody else that stepped in into the role as the father from the beginning, maybe even did things, you know, as a father legally. Like, did he sign the birth certificate? He did. Yeah. yeah. So there's everything is so fact specific in that regard. Like a yeah. lot of cases, yeah, that you wonder, you know, sometimes that may not apply. Well, the presumptive parent parentage, but it, and I mean the thing is, is like it would end up uh, uprooting the whole child's life, right? Like yeah. up to that point that the child knew the other guy as a as the dad, mm-hmm. and so for to eliminate somebody's parental rights and then establish another father, that I couldn't even imagine what that would do to a child. Yeah, yeah, that's probably but, not a very common thing, I would think. No, no, I don't think so. In a very unique situation, and that you could imagine. Um, as a judge, you can imagine that sometimes the decisions are difficult to make. Yeah. Do you have weight on your shoulders when you have to sentence somebody to a certain amount of time or like knowing that maybe a young person committed this crime and they came into your courtroom and then now they have to serve time in prison or jail and it's going to affect their youth and, and possibly the rest of their life? Yes. Yeah, to say I don't think about cases and people afterwards would be so untrue because, I mean, I was a practicing attorney for 14 years before I decided to run for judge, and there were cases that I still remember to this day and people I still remember, people I still uh, wonder how they're doing, and some people have done really well and some people have not in their future. And there are always those cases and people that affect you, and they still do now as a judge. Or I think even there are times where I see somebody in front of me and maybe um, maybe they're not ready, frankly, to make some changes that they need to make in their life. And you wish that you could do something to help them understand what's going to happen in their future or to help them understand why it's so important for them to try to make the changes. But you can't. You can't control the people's behavior sometimes. And especially young, I find a lot of times, too, young men in particular. (laughs) You know, as a mom, I have three kids, and as a mom, it's hard not to look at a young man, especially in the early 20s, um, that they don't see the consequences of their behavior for their future. They don't see anything past what's happening right now. They don't see how this is going to affect maybe their ability to get financial aid to go to college. They don't see how it's going to affect their ability to get any type of a license, whether it's even a builder's license. Yeah. 
they don't see how it's going to affect things, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. Yeah. They just, they, they just don't see that right now. And it's so hard when they're not ready to make those changes, but you can see that for them. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Red Bike Delivery. This delivery service operates only using battery-powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new houseplants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one earth. Very difficult and frustrating, I could imagine. Especially like if you see somebody come in more than once. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen that multiple times, right? Yeah. One of the great things I love about being in district court, it's like a people's court. And so it is uh, more of an interesting dynamic where you get to know people in your community. Um, Sometimes you get to know, like in civil cases, you know, who the landlords are or who the civil attorneys are, who the business owners are. But in criminal cases, you get to know people, their family, their dynamics. Sometimes you see certain members of the same family even. Oh, man. And so, and sometimes you can see things progress worse, and sometimes you see people really honestly 100% turn their life around, and that is just the most amazing experience. Like, I've had the opportunity to be so blessed to see people change their life that just seeing one person do that really just reestablishes for me why it is that we do what we do, why it is that we have programs in place, why it is we allow people to do, you know, probation or to enter treatment court programs. I run a treatment court program. You do? Yeah, yeah. And this is why we do it. And to see that and then to see the person change before your eyes, it it really is a blessing to even have that opportunity to see that and share that moment with the person. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the um, more exciting things about being a human is when you're able to help somebody mm-hmm. or even like put them on the right course. Like what you're doing, I, I would assume a lot of people are like, man, screw that judge. Like they sentenced me to all this time or whatever, or I have to serve community service or go to do probation. But if, if you look at it in a different perspective, like it's putting you on the right path to make your life or put make your life better essentially mm-hmm. if you if you look at it the right way mm-hmm. um, otherwise you're just looking at it as something that you have to do and it's just a, another chore um, but that's one of the beautiful things about being a human is when you're able to help somebody and and help propel their life and make them a better person yeah I and totally agree I, I I feel you on that level because I, I do that with this podcast it's different yeah. I'm not obviously uh, I don't have that whole judge dynamic or anything but having people share their stories helps them mm-hmm. and uh you know a lot of people that you know have been in court or have been, you know been addicted to drugs or went to jail for whatever or even prison i've had people who were in prison come on the podcast who have completely changed their lives and to have them share their story it helps them tremendously mm-hmm. and it helps me too you know yeah. to hear their stories I think we could all learn from each other. Absolutely. And we all need to recognize that we have value regardless yeah. of what our experiences are. And at the end of the day, David, everybody just wants to be heard. Yeah. And I really just walk in every day with two philosophies. You're going to be heard and you're going to be respected. Regardless of what the outcome is, regardless of what my decision is, regardless if you're out in the public or if you're in jail, those two things have to be in place. Mm-hmm. Because if those are in place, if even if you don't accept the decision at that moment, you will at some point. And I'm okay with people not agreeing with me. I'm okay with people being even upset yeah. with me. But I still have to have that bottom line um, ability to be respected, to be heard. And at some point, I think that helps them be able to understand why the decision was made or that at least it was a fair decision whether or not they're willing to accept it at that moment or not. Right. Now, what is your opinion on people who um, were were sentenced and got out on bond, but then they end up committing an even more egregious crime, like 
possible murder or whatever while out, out on bond? I think that that is such a risk to the community, frankly. And people ask me and have asked me since I've been a judge, you know, what's the hardest part about being a judge? And I have to say, honestly, sometimes the hardest part is determining somebody's bond from the get-go. Yeah. Because somebody is charged with a crime, they're presumed innocent. You have court rules that you have to follow that say you have to set the bond with the presumption of innocence, and the only thing that you can consider in determining bond is the person's ability to appear at court and public safety. Mm. So you have to start with the presumption that they're to be given a PR bond, like just basically an amount of money, and if you don't show up, you owe that amount, and then there'll be a bench warrant. And if you feel like that's not sufficient, you can go to step two, which is, do a PR bond with some conditions, but the conditions can only be to affect public safety. Like, for example, I see people on a lot of drug charges, frankly. I think there's an uptick in, you know, controlled substance use, and I've seen it increase. Like, I've seen people, more people being charged with possession, use, and delivery manufacture of controlled substance over the last year than I have in the last three years. Like meth and... Especially math, especially math right now. That's big in Eaton County, right? I feel like it is. I feel like it's, I've talked to other judges um, because I have a lot of judges that I stay in contact with in different counties and especially Ingham County because we're really close. You're Eaton, right? Yeah, I'm Eaton, but we're divided by Waverly Road. Right. So, you know, it kind of depends even where you're at. You could be Lansing, but you could be Eaton County. Trust yeah, me, people have yeah. come to court and be like, why am I even here? I live in Lansing. I'm like, I know, I know, but it depends on what side you're on, you know, what side of the mall are you on or whatnot. So, or literally what side of Waverly Road that right, you're on. Right. But, um, we face a lot of the same issues. And, um, but I think it's been an increased issue for a lot of counties in talking to other judges and just staying in touch with other areas as well. But especially for Eaton County, I have personally noticed that there's been an increase. The frequency of people that are charged has really gone up. So say, for example, even if I use that, the possession of meth charge, that's a 10 year felony, right? So um, if you look at that and you're setting bond, you have to go with the presumption of innocence. Then you have to look at their ability to appear at court. Say it's their first charge ever in their life. So you don't have, and a lot of times for some reason, it seems like with controlled substances, they don't have a huge criminal history. They just don't get caught. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you don't know, right? Right. Um, or you don't know, like, with especially with meth, I think for some reason, and not to create any conclusions about, you know, people that would use controlled substances, but it really does seem to run the gamut of young people, middle-aged people, professional people. Really? It kind of reminds me of how cocaine started in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like, now it's accessible in different ways. The cost. Uh, Do you think it's because people are maybe down on their luck and they they start making it to make some extra money, then they try it, and then they I don't think hooked? people are making it anymore. That's why I think it's changed. Like, it first started was kind of like um, people were able to create it with different substances or right. components they could pick up. That's how yeah. meth first came to everybody's attention or, like, you know, the one pot. Or things that people would do to make it. Now that's changed. It's being, you know, created and distributed outside the U.S. And so it's mass produ- produced. Yeah. It's in packets. It's cheap. It's like how cocaine started, where you could buy a small packet for yeah. $5, $20, and it's just exploding right now. Yeah. And it's extremely addictive. The components of that change, you know, the makeup of how your brain comprehends things and it just has a totally different immediate long-term effect i mean we have a fentanyl crisis right now because yes. of it. yeah yeah totally agree with that so we got a little bit sidetracked on we that. definitely I mean, did <laughs> <laughs> but it goes back to the whole bond issue of public safety i consider and i'll tell it to somebody i'll tell them right to their face i have public safety concerns which includes safety to yourself yeah and so I'm going to do a condition that you can't use. You have to test. 
you know, three times a week, you know, put a bunch of conditions on there and either you're going to be able to comply with those. And if not, you're going to come back in front of me on a bond violation, which then again, this is the frustrating part about the system. You have to be arraigned on that. You have to be told what the allegation is. You have to be given the opportunity to plead guilty or not guilty. And if you plead not guilty, we have to have a hearing and I can't really do anything until it's substantiated or not. And then at that point, you can make a decision about bond. So I guess to go back to your question, if somebody's on, you make the best decision you can for bond, just seeing that person for the first time, given what you have in front of you and the court rules, because you have to have a justification for your bond. Right. Now, what if it was like a... um like a domestic abuse situation or like, how do you figure out what the bond is for that? Because wouldn't that be like a public safety concern? Yes. Yeah. And so usually for a domestic violence or any kind of assaultive charge, especially if it's a felony charge where domestic violence is a 93 day misdemeanor, assault and battery is a 93 day misdemeanor, but other assault of offensives like assault with a dangerous weapon, um, assault GBH, those are, you know, felony charges. So you look at the charge. Um, I look at the person's criminal history because if it's an assault of crime, I have our sheriff's department run the person's criminal history. And that history is a different history than like somebody could get if you were just doing a background check. So I can mm. see everything on there. I can see if you've had any contact with police your entire life. Whoa. I can see if you got charged, but it got dismissed later. Or if you got charged and you completed a diversion program, it's still going to be on there for me to see. Oh. But it wouldn't be a public record. So I can look at it. So for would that be something that would be held, held against you? Or it's just one of the factors you have to take into account in determining okay. public safety. Or your ability to appear. Because sometimes it will have on there, you know, that they have a warrant out. From a di- to a different county, where right. they have charges out where they failed to appear before, so you could take that into account. Gotcha. Um, but I always do a no contact order, so they can't have any contact with the alleged victim. Does while, that work while the case is pending? A lot of times it does. Frankly, does it? a lot of times there's more compliance than less compliance. It's just that we hear about the cases where the person doesn't comply. Right. We don't hear about all the hundreds and thousands of cases where people are complying. You know, um, but in a lot of people, I find, too, the biggest issue sometimes with the no contact is that there's so many other collateral consequences, like they have children, right? Yeah. And so the first question is, well, how do I see my children? And I have the hard and difficult task of saying, that's not for me to consider today. My only thing to consider is you're charged with this crime. The alleged victim is this person. You can't have contact with that person, period. For any reason, no exceptions. Yeah. And it yeah. stays in place until the case is over. And sometimes right now, especially in the last year or two, the cases are backlogged. So what if it takes your case a year, Oof. which is not uncommon? At one time, I had my trial docket that was out months. Like right now, if you wanted to trial, your first available day is going to be end of October, 1st of November. Holy cow. And just recently, so you could sit in jail that long. You could sit in jail that long. Some people have Oof. sat in jail longer than the maximum possible consequence for the offense. Wow! So and that counts as time served. Yeah, but you don't get extra extra credit. <laughs> 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 or like people say, do you get reimbursed for that? There's right. no reimbursement in the court system. Oh my you gosh. know, like that's just time. Wow. Or if you're found not guilty. Yeah. What is your opinion on um, people who were charged with, like, let's say, marijuana, Mm -hmm. and now it's legal? When you see something like that, it's legal. What is your opinion on those who are still in jail or prison because of it, because of those drug charges? I don't know about how to answer if they're in prison because I think that our state appellate division, SATO, is addressing those issues, and if that's the only thing that they're in prison for, then I think they're able to file appeals for that. Mm. But as far as um, in district court, when the law changed, I asked our probation department to pull all the files where the person was only on probation 
for possession of marijuana, not anything else. And that's actually pretty rare, you know, because usually there's a couple other things that maybe the person's charged with. Right. Um, so there was really surprisingly less than seven or eight people. I can't remember well, the exact amount, but l- uh-huh. definitely less than 10 people. Wow. And so that I looked at each case individually, because I really feel like it's dangerous to make any hard and fast rules about anything. Yeah. Because then you're not taking into account individual facts, circumstances, people, yeah. history, all kinds of stuff. So I looked at each case individually. If the person had completed, you know, over 50% of the probation, never had any issues, that was the only issue, and there was no reason to keep them on probation, there weren't any other terms that they had to satisfy. And I'd be like, we need to discharge them because the law has told us that we need to do that, basically. But if I looked at their file and maybe, for example, they were ordered to complete their GED and they hadn't done that, then I would let the probation officer know, I'm not going to discharge the person, but the next time they report to you, you can tell them, look, you still have these other conditions you have to comply with. And so when you get those done, we can look at it again. That's fair enough. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kind of talk about you a little bit and less okay. about the, <laughs> the courtroom. Uh, I feel like that's a daunting subject. It is. Um, it's one of those conversations. Like I could literally talk about it for hours. I'm sure you could. I'm sure a lot of people don't <laughs> find it as interesting, but it's just so much to it. Well, I'm sure you're passionate about it. I mean, yeah. you, you do it for a living. Now, I would assume that if you're doing it for a living, especially something like that, you have to be passionate about helping people and and law and all kinds of different things. But yeah. when did this passion come about? When did you start practicing law? When Where did you go to school? Um, and then when did you decide to become a judge or even run for being judge? Uh, well, I went to school at Eaton Rapids. Oh. I grew up on a farm. Oh. I was a farm girl, went to school in Eaton Rapids, and then later on in life, I moved to the big city of Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after I graduated from high school, I at first wanted to actually be a police officer. Oh, okay. And so I went to Ferris State because they at the time had the program where you could do your Malazzi certification and get your degree at the same time. So I went to Ferris State, and after I was there for a year, um, I wasn't really quite sure that that's what I wanted to do, and my dad was extremely strict, like over-the-top strict. Like, I was the oldest of five kids and the girl. So he had, uh, I would consider what I like to say favorably, like tough love, you know. And so he had these guidelines, like, if you're going to be in school, you're going to do A, B, C, and D, period, and that's, that's it. There's, like, no exceptions. So um, when I came home for the first summer, my dad was like, you know, I'm not 100,000% satisfied with your grades and you need to really decide if you want to, this is what you want to do or you don't. And then I was like, I'm not honestly sure this is what I want to do. So I decided to go to LCC instead after that first year. And then I went to... There's water there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I went to Michigan, you know, part of the bad side about my job is that I talk all freaking day. <laughs> there are yeah, days like, oh my gosh, there are days like where you literally are talking from 8.30 until 5.30 or whenever oh you gosh. can get the heck out of there. And I'm like, you know, I'm sick of even hearing my own voice. <laughs> so, And here you are talking right after work. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I decided to go to Michigan State. My dad and my brother had also gone to Michigan State. And um, so I did a criminal justice degree there and got a minor in women's studies and a specialty in juvenile delinquency. And I wanted to be a juvenile uh, delinquent counselor. So that's what I went about doing after that. And I worked as a youth specialist for four years. Mm. Um, And What what is that? Like, well, my first job. Oh, youth specialist. A youth specialist, yeah. My first job was at Florence Crittenton, which is in Jackson. And it's a home for girls that were pregnant but were going to be sentenced to prison. So it was a prison alternative program. Oh, okay. But instead of being sentenced to prison, they were kind of given one last opportunity to complete this program, stay in this home, get educated, get some resources, um, do all these things that they had to do, like an intensive pro- programming. But it was just for girls that were pregnant or already had children and were supposed to be going to prison. Wow. That was my first job. 
And I was like, that sounds intense as a first job. It really was. (laughs) I don't, there was a girl that I knew that I went to college with. And then later on we touched base and she's the one that, uh, had told me about it. And I was a little bit shell shocked at first, you know, because I was a sheltered growing up and eating rapids on a farm with the strict dad. Right. So, um, and I was, you know, in my early twenties then. And so, you know, the girls, Really tried to take advantage of me at first. I could imagine. I had, a friend. I had all kinds of crazy nicknames, as you can imagine. <laughs> I had a friend who worked at a, a youth home or like a, I don't, I don't know if it's like a, like a boy's home up in St. John's. Yeah. And uh, he was saying that a lot of the different kids that you see, like essentially it's a prison or whatever. They were, these are kids that have done terrible things and it's like maybe a program to try to get them straight. out. I don't know. Um, but he was saying that a lot of these stories, some of the things that these kids have seen or done is just, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Like you would not believe it. Yeah. Like some kids committing murder, like a seven year old, like things like that. Like I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine that. No. When it comes to a child, just hearing about that, you just can't even. No. Mm-hmm. Like what does that do to a child? It's so sad. Know. So, so seeing some of these uh, situations and some of these scenarios of these girls in this group home, I would imagine that that gave you some compassion for when you did become a judge or even an attorney. Yeah, it really did. And at that time, I hadn't even thought about going to law school. So I worked there and then I went to the VFW home in Eaton Rapids and I created this program um, called Independent Living and it was for boys between the ages of 16 and 18 because at the VFW, at some point, you had to move out on your own. And oh, okay. these boys that were there, um, they didn't really have any skills to live independently. And mm. so that's the whole premise of just kind of stealing that for the program. was like, it's an independent living program. What are you going to do when you're 18 and they just tell you you have to leave here? You know, how are you going to manage? How are you going to budget your money? Where are you going to work at? How are you going to live on your own? You know, yeah. so I ran a house with six boys between the ages of 16 and 18. So that was oh. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and we lived there. So I would live there for, you know, four days and three nights. And then the other girl that did it with me would flip. And so Whoa. it was like literally your second home. Wow. What was that like? It was great, honestly. Yeah. It was great because you have a different dynamic, just like you can imagine when you spend that much time with anybody. Yeah. Let alone you share the same house. Yeah. And it takes a while to gain that trust, that level of communication. But then again, to be able to see them grow in certain ways or uh, just, you know, a couple funny stories like I would do a money budget for your groceries like, we're going to go grocery shopping, and you're going to figure out, like, what are you going to buy for the week, you know, to get by? And I had this one guy, all he bought was Tostino's frozen pizzas <laughs> and Mountain Dew. Like, he oh calculated it out, and he would have so many pizzas and so many two liters of Mountain Dew, and that would be it for the week. And I'd be like, don't you want to try to? <laughs> nope, nope. I like these. Uh, okay, okay. You know, you just got to kind of help, you know, guide somebody, but yeah. they'll they'll figure it out on their own or they won't. Yeah. And so the first time that we went to the grocery store and he decided to buy something else, it was such a small moment, but a big moment at the same time. Like, <laughs> I'm going to try some fried chicken. Oh, my God, yes. So um, that was really, it was a great experience. And I stayed there until I was pregnant with my first child. And then I left. um, And after I had my daughter, I stayed home for a little bit and just really wanted to be able to have that time. And then I decided to go to law school. So I studied and took the LSAT and uh, ended up getting accepted into Cooley and went to Cooley Law School. And uh, I went part-time. Interestingly enough, the day that I went to the doctor, this might be a little bit too personal, but I'm an open book. Trust me. You can say whatever I'm you want. I'm an open book. So I uh, went to the doctor after having my daughter and got that follow-up appointment, right? And so I came home and got the mail. And in the mail was my letter of acceptance to Clue Law School. And I was like, yes. And then... Um, within five minutes, my doctor's office called and said, you're pregnant again. I'm like, Whoa. what? 
geez. So then when my husband came home, I said, I got two pieces of big news to tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody could have thought like those two things were going to go together. But also as a woman, I think that people sometimes feel like, how are you going to manage that and be a mom? So sometimes right. people's initial response would be, oh, that's too bad. Maybe you won't be able to do that now. And I was like, what the? That's exactly <laughs> why I'm going to do that. Like I was. To help propel you. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So then I went to law school at night and Cooley is really great for that. Like I really feel like that gave me a different opportunity because I would be home day, home all day and I would go to classes from six to nine. Mm. And on, on the weekend. So I'd take a couple classes during the week, and then I have classes on Saturday. And so it took me four years to get through law school that's doing it that way. But It's really not that bad, though. It's re really not. I mean, when, when you're raising a family, that's yeah. not bad at all. Yeah. So, like, the last year, I was able to kind of speed it up a little bit and do an internship for the Attorney General's office. And What was that like? What was that experience like? At the Attorney General's office? Yeah. It was great. It was great. Yeah. Well, my dad is also a lawyer. Oh, My okay. dad has unfortunately um, passed away, but my dad was a lawyer. And the funny thing about that is, is that um, I was telling you earlier how strict he was and we grew up on a <laughs> farm. So it probably, I didn't realize that my dad was even a lawyer until I was a teenager because Whoa. when I came home from school, he was already in his farm clothes out there with the cattle and stuff like that. So you thought I didn't. You thought he was doing that all day? I thought he was a farmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would be gone in the morning, but I didn't really think about that, you know, when I got. Oh. But, so, but my dad uh, went to Cooley as well. He was in the first graduating class in 1976. Whoa. I feel that's one thing. I, I, I want to get your perspective on this because you're, you're a little older than I am. Yes. And you're um, a part of a different generation than, than I am. Um. And one thing that I've noticed is that as the generations come and go, um, our, the, the newer generations don't seem as strict and as, as strong as some of the older generations, like your, your father's generation, because um, that's unheard of, right? People mm -hmm. don't do that now. People, like, don't, they don't work a full-time job and then go home and run a farm. Mm -hmm. You don't see that yeah. very often. <laughs> I don't know anybody that does that. Yeah. Um, do you feel or do you do you see any examples in your career or people that come in and out of your courtroom of pe of younger people who um, don't necessarily uh, have the same I, I, I don't know the same like uh, work ethic or um, ability to have that kind of mi mindset? Yeah. I think sometimes the younger generation thinks that things are supposed to happen easier. Yeah. Or that it's going to naturally happen. And that's not the case. You got to fight for everything. You got to work hard for everything. My dad used to say if it was easy, everybody would do it. It's not supposed to be easy. It's going to be hard. Yeah. If it's not hard, it's, something's probably not right. Yeah. I tell people when they start probation and I go through all the conditions and I can start seeing their eyes like roll back and get this weird look on their face like, what the? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, if you feel overwhelmed right now, that's good because this is overwhelming. If you don't feel overwhelmed, you're not even paying attention or realizing what is going to be expected of you. Yeah. Like it is going to be hard, but yeah. you can still do it. You yeah. just got to realize like what's in front of you and that you're going to, you're going to set yourself up to success. I mean, and that's one thing that like with you going to night school on, on the weekends and in the evenings, um, at, to become a lawyer or a uh, to go to law school. That's one of the, one of the most complicated things you could probably do in an educational pursuit. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? Yeah. Other than maybe being so. a doctor, that might be a little bit difficult because you're performing surgery yeah. <laughs> or like a surgeon or whatever, but um, that's got to be one of the most difficult things to do. And you were able to put yourself in that mindset of, okay, this is what I'm doing and I'm going to do it every week, every day. And, and I'm going to eventually achieve it. Yeah. But it takes hard work and dedication to get there. Yeah. I mean, there are times where I didn't want to study after the kids went to bed because I was tired or there were times where I wanted to do other fun things, but it's sacrifice. You have to do that. And we didn't have a lot of money then. I wasn't working, you know, so we had one income for a family of four. 
And so it was hard. And I didn't have a set place to study. So I went down to the basement, but we had a Michigan basement. And so it was all rocks and dirt. Oh. Like, <laughs> it wasn't really nice. So I remember there were times where I'd be sitting there and there would be like stuff from the wall or the ceiling that would just like the oh dirt would kind of fall down. I'd be like having to like push it off my books. And we had to run an extension cord from the kitchen you know, down to the basement because there wasn't separate electricity down there. Oh, my god! So I could have a lamp. But, wow. I mean, if you want it, you're going to find a way to get it because there's nothing that's going to stop you if you want it. Yeah. that That's the truth of it. So I do feel like, yeah, it's not going to be easy. And sometimes I, I, it's not, I don't like when people say the younger generation feels like they're entitled because that yeah. seems almost too extreme or miscarriage or stereotype yeah. that isn't necessarily on point for everybody. I think it, it's not necessarily the young generation. I even think that um, pe- maybe even people of your generation, it's the it's the access to the things that we have. Yeah. That's what makes everybody entitled. It's the, it's the ability to get on Amazon and order something today and get it tomorrow. Yeah. And if we can get it tomorrow, then we're like, why can't we get it tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm, I'll admit, I'm guilty of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a sense of entitlement even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I fight that with my own kids. My youngest child right now is 11. He's going into seventh grade next year in middle school. And so I can see the difference even between him and my second son. They are 12 years apart. So even the differences of the mentality, the technology, yeah. the things that are quicker, easier, yeah. you know, and yeah. then having to deal with different stuff at school where I think being, you know, the time frame when kids had to stay home from school kind of even changed. Like, no, it's not. School's not that easy. Yeah, it's not supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) It's not supposed to be that easy where you can do, you know, your gym class from your from your living room. Yeah. Or that's one thing that I think is concerning um, for schools. Uh, My and I'm seeing it, you know, with my kids because my daughter's in school. My wife has some older kids who are in school, and one of the things is they they seem to make it easier for kids who have problems, which is cool. You know, like if if a child has ADD or ADHD, which it seems like everybody has these days, um, they have some form of it. But uh, they they give them some sort of plan to where, you know, schoolwork is easier, they don't have to work as hard. And then what I've noticed is that these kids take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And they use it as almost a crutch to not have to do their homework or or they get to leave class because they're stressed out and they get to go sit in a quiet room or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I think it I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing, but I, I think it's good to help these kids. But I don't know if it's a good thing for them. I think if it helps them like promote their ability to learn and to reach their education goals, because knowledge is power. Yeah. And you have to be educated. Yeah. Bottom line. Absolutely. But if it goes to the point where it extends over to their mentality of being accommodated and that's how the real world is going to also treat you, yeah, that's where the person is going to be disappointed later in life because that's not how it's going to happen for them. Well, I mean, it takes discipline to want to pursue a harder, something harder, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, most kids, and I, I'm I would be the, probably the first person to uh, say that when I was a young person, I would very easily try to get out of things. If I don't have to do homework, why would I do homework? Right, right. <laughs> if I if there was some sort of way for me to get out of, uh, you know, being in class, I probably would have. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went to Cooley Law School, graduated. <laughs> I forgot we were. I love how we just go off on different topics. <laughs> this happens all the time on the podcast, okay, so that's good. why I mean you don't have to good. be like yeah. stressed or anything. We just okay. we just talk. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, really, you could sign me up weekly, and we probably still wouldn't even get through everything. But um, so then, after I graduated from law school, I uh, started practicing. So then I practiced for fourteen years. And so the short version is is that one of the counties that I practiced in was Eaton County. And Judge Hoffman, who was one of two district court judges, because we only have two district court judges, uh, decided he was going to retire. And he had been on the bench for 24 years. Whoa. 
Yeah, before I even started practicing. So once I became aware of that, other people did. We didn't really get a lot of notice. I think at first I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. What This is going to be a change, you know, what's going on? And then people started talking about, well, who's going to run for it? We realized it was open for election. And that hadn't happened in a while either, so... The election? Yeah, an what? election for a district court judge just because he'd been on the bench for 24 years. So they don't, they don't, th- that doesn't happen very often where you run for, for judge? Yeah, I mean, it has to be open, it has to be open or somebody has to contest you. Oh, okay. So I see. I see what you're saying. Nobody had filed to get, like, your term is six years. Wow. Yeah. And nobody went against him. Yeah. Holy cow. And that's, you know, some that's more common than not. So it just kind of depends, you know. Um, and so then people started talking about, you know, who's going to run for it, whatnot. And a friend of mine was thinking about it. And then he said, he came to me and he said, you know, I thought about it for a while. I talked to my wife about it. I don't think this is the right time for us. Um, I'm not going to do it, but I think you should do it. And then that was the first time, honestly, I thought about it because mm-hmm. I valued him. And his opinion, and I was like, really? And he's like, well, yeah. And he started naming off all these reasons. And then I started thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? This might be my time just because I feel like I'm prepared as far as the level of practice. I practice in state courts and federal courts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I lived in the county my whole entire life. You know, I felt really committed and dedicated to the county. And so I had been the magistrate for the county courthouse before as well. So I feel like I had really done everything that this might be the time where I feel like I could actually give back and I would be prepared and ready for that type of position. Then I also thought about if I don't do it now, maybe I won't have another opportunity in my life. Maybe I'll regret that later. And I really feel like you have to take chances and opportunities when they're in front of you because you just don't know what life is going to give you. And so then I decided to run. I had an opponent, um, but I won the election, thankfully. And so now it's been five and a half years. (laughs) Why, why is it an elected position? Because really you are um, there to serve the people. I think that is something that people don't emphasize enough and people don't remember enough. As a judge, I serve the people. I serve the people of Eaton County. I'm there to serve them. So it's not necessarily about what I want. It's what the people decide. And even in my experiences as a practicing attorney, you would get the feel sometime from judges that they didn't have that mindset. Mm. You know. And that's a way to get them out. And that's not okay. You know. Or I've heard judges say, when they're looking at their schedule, we call it a docket, and they're like, well, this attorney's late, my docket this, my docket that, and then you, I always stop and say, it's not it's not your docket. You're here to serve the people. When they're ready, you have to be ready. When they need you to help them with their issues, with their decisions, with their case, you're ready. It's not the other way around. You're there to serve the people. So, I like that. I, I think it's important to have people in power in positions like that who are there to support the people because I think that's one thing that like a lot of people and we see it in the media all the time with like police officers, right? Mm-hmm. Like people, it's, it, it's easy to do. It's an easy thing to do. Like if you're a police officer to kind of get in the mindset of like, okay, this is my job. I got to go to it every single day. But, and then people start looking at them as like they're, they're othered. They're, they're, they're separate from us. They're not, they're not with us. They're, essentially against us. And so I think it's important to see that whenever somebody goes into a courtroom that they have somebody who, you know, is obviously an authority, but they, and they have control of, of the room and what happens, but they care. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I mean, at least I, I, I would think that's important. I've never been in any legal trouble like that, but yeah, um, I would want a judge who, who cared about my situation. And even if you break it down that you don't have to necessarily care about, you know, Joe Smith personally or care what happens to Joe Smith personally, but you have to care about the criminal justice system. You have to care about justice. You have to care about yeah. making sure each person is going to be heard. You have to care about making a decision under the law because we don't make the law. 
We're charged with enforcing it. So you have to yeah. care about that. What is the law? How am I going to enforce it? You have to care about all that. And no one is going to have respect for the system if they don't, if you don't have that level in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. No, justice should be number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that, compassion, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, and you said you were, you've been a judge for five years. Yeah. So it's every five or six years. It's a six year term. Okay. So I'm in the middle of my fifth year. So like this term for me would end in December. Okay. So that's why I'm running for reelection where the election will be in November. Okay. And if I win re-election, then the second six-year term will start in January. Okay. So okay. basically, like in your beginning of the fifth year, the Supreme Court sends you an email, thank God, and tells you, <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is the year that you have to decide if you want to run for another six years or not. And if you don't, you fill out a form saying, I'm deciding not to run for re-election. And if you do, and you're already a sitting judge, you fill out a form and say, I'm going to ask for another six years. And then you file that. Okay. So I did that back in January. And um, then the deadline for somebody to file against you is in April, like April 20 something or like towards the end of April. So somebody did file against me. And so now I'm campaigning or having to kind of step that up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so because I do want to do another term, I do want to do another six year term. I want to be able to stay on as judge basically. Yeah. So if you, if that's not something that happens, what, what do you think you'll do? I, I mean, don't know. I'm sure you're planning on being judge. So I don't which know. Which is a better mindset to have. But I never think in worst case scenario. <laughs> I never think that way. Because then you're not going to be giving it your all, right? You yeah. can't go into a fight and doubt yourself. Exactly. You got to be ready. Yeah. You got to know what you want. Otherwise, why are you doing it? So I haven't thought about it at all. I really haven't. And so that's always kind of just been my mindset as well, too. I'm either all in or not. I'm yeah. not worried about anything else. That's cool. That's that's important because, I mean, I've interviewed a couple of politicians and some of them, like, they'll say, like, um, well, if I win, like, no, you shouldn't say if, like, yeah. you should say when I win, like, if, if when I win this, this is what I'll do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's a winner's mindset. Yeah. I haven't thought about it any other way, honestly. That's awesome. Especially because when I ran the first time, I was a practicing attorney, right? So the rules are a little bit different about what you can do. You basically don't have any rules. That's the difference that hmm. like you can, uh, I looked at it as, you know, I had a business, I had my own practice, my own office building. I, you oh, know, wow. and so I was doing all of that. I had other attorneys that were renting from in my office building it was on Washington and Lansing. And so, um, when I decided to run, I could multitask the crap out of everything, you know, because wherever you go, you could talk, you could do whatever, right. you know, and so you could be doing six things at once. You could be in your car driving to court, but talking on the phone, you know, you could just do all that 24 seven pretty much. Yeah. Um, but when you're a judge, I didn't realize until I started this process, there's a lot of more, there's a lot of re restrictions because I work for the people, right? So my salary is paid by the taxpayers. Yeah. It's actually set by the legislator, which I didn't realize until after I became judge. Somebody asked me, I remember, when I was going door to door the first time, how much do judges make? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> They're like, how, how come you don't know? And I'm like, I, I guess I never asked. I don't, I don't really know. And then later on, I thought, how do you even know how much a judge makes? And then I had to educate myself that it's yeah. the legislators that determine the salary of district court judges, circuit court judges, appellate court judges. Every level of judge has a different salary. And is that is that different for every county? No, it's statewide. So oh, wow. that there's no discrepancy. So if you're a judge in Wayne County, a district court judge in Wayne County, yeah. you make the same amount as me. We make the same. Wow. Like I went to judge school. When you get elected or you get appointed, you go to judge's school. The Supreme Court wow. puts it on. And I sat next to a guy who was a Wayne County uh, District Court judge. And he was telling me about his caseload and what he has to do. And I was telling him about mine. And he he never heard of Eaton County before or anything. <laughs> and so he's like, wait, 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 wait. I, I get paid the same amount that you get paid, but I have to do, you know, this, this. And I'm like, mm, I don't know what to do. But... <laughs> 
sounds like you need a new job, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These are things that people don't think about or realize, right? But it also seems like it would be more fair so that all judges, yeah. regardless of where you're at, make the, make the same. And so the salary is set by the legislator. It's taxpayer dollars. You work for the people yeah. for that reason. And so when you're sitting as a judge, you get Part of your salary comes from the state through the legislator. Another part comes from the county that you're sitting in. So it's kind of like the county is paying because they have a sitting judge. And then so they split your salary in that regard, right? Okay. So where was I going with that? Oh, you're talking about working for the people. Yeah, thank you. Thank (laughs) you. Um, So because of that, you know, you are on task as the judge being paid and so you can't multitask right you can't really do anything during the day at all like sometimes during my lunch hour i'll get on and do some stuff or if i'm gonna be able to leave work early or i'm using vacation time and stuff but it's it's totally different yeah totally different so that is a, a kind of a different challenge and then also too Sometimes people don't realize that you have restrictions. So people will just start talking to me or coming up, you know, saying stuff. And I have to be like, oh, I can't really talk to you about that right now. Or, you know, you have to act like nothing is happening yeah, because you have a completely different role. No. Yeah, it's almost a conflict of interest. You can't mm-hmm. you can't promote on on company time. <laughs> yes, that's a yeah. better, better, shorter way of saying that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I guess, I guess if I was an employer of like just a regular business, I wouldn't want somebody promoting their business while they're working for me, mm-hmm. you know, same concept, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, one thing I wanted to ask you was that because you deal with like a lot of criminal, criminal law and all that, are you, have you ever been concerned about public safety, like your safety, like going out in the general public or anything like that, or your kids safety or anything like that? I have not. No. I have not. And one of the most common questions that I do get too, besides, you know, what's the hardest part of your job is, do you ever get threatened or has anything bad ever happened? And I can honestly say I have never had a bad experience. Wow. I'll give you two quick stories though. One is, uh, apparently there was a guy who was in jail and when he would come to court in front of a different judge, he would just act a full act out. He would start cussing and just being hostile. And he would tell the judge, I'm going to kill you. And just, you know, got to the point where that judge is like, I don't feel comfortable handling the case. Because if it gets in your head so much that you feel like it's going to affect your ability to make an impartial decision, you have an obligation to tell somebody about it and get yourself removed from the case. Mm. You know, like you can recuse yourself right so that judge i guess decided to do that and so then the case just went back in to be assigned and it got assigned to me so the corrections the sheriff's department has two deputies that work in the courthouse that bring people in and out of jail they had said something to me about it like you're gonna have this guy who blah 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 what i just said and so i was like okay you know whatever so i got done with the day and we were talking and i said um I thought I was supposed to have that guy. And they're like, yeah, you, he already came in today. And I was like, <laughs> which one? <laughs> was, I didn't even know who it was. And so then they described, like, we had to go back, like, well, what do you look like? What was this case about? Then I knew who they were because I, I have a hard time remembering every person's name. But if you tell me a fact about your case or I see your yeah, face, I'll yeah. never forget a face. Yeah. Even I say to people, like, I'm telling you this to your face. And if I see your face again. This is what I'm going to remember. Like, I never forget a face. That's scary when a judge (laughs) says that. (laughs) If I see your face in here again. (laughs) It sounds so dramatic. Well, even people who come in when we were talking before about, you know, bond violations or probation violations. If I told you, this is why I also hated Zoom, because you don't have that face to face, right? Yeah. If I told you to your face and I feel like I explained stuff in detail. Kind of overboard a little bit because I want to make sure you understand. <laughs> yeah, that's and, important for your job. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. you're nervous. You just want to get the heck out of there, you know, but I really need to feel comfortable that you understand what's happening and what could happen next. Yeah. And so if I go through it in detail with you, which I really tried to do, and then I say, do you understand 
you have any questions and we go through it and then it comes up later, I will tell the person, I told you to your face, like, this is what, you know, and they'll be like, yeah, like, you really don't have anything to say at that point. Yeah. And I give you a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, where was I going with that again? Um, we're talking about safety. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, they were telling me about the guy and the facts, which is where I was saying, like, I remember the facts in the person's face. And after they explained that, I was like, oh, yeah. Well, that <laughs> guy was totally fine. He was, wow. he said, thank you. Whoa. They're like, yeah, we couldn't believe it. We were talking about it afterwards. So, <laughs> and I always joke sometimes too that, you know, as long as you're respectful to somebody, they're some, they're going to return that. Yeah. And even if they don't like the decision, sometimes it's even surprising to me. People will say, you know, thank you. Okay. You yeah. know, um, well, I mean that, that, uh, that brings me back to when I went to probate court and, uh, I didn't obviously like the the ruling of the judge, whatever the judge ruled. I didn't like it. It wasn't in my favor. Um, but I do understand that there's a law and that he was mm-hmm. doing the best that he could with the situation that, that he was given. Mm-hmm. And um, so not once did I ever think like, oh, that judge is a terrible judge or, you know, like he seemed more than fair. In fact, he even said, I wish I could rule in your favor, but he, he couldn't. Yeah. And so he was kind of bound. Yeah. And that makes yeah. a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Where you absolutely. feel like it that at least it, the information was gathered, it was considered, you were heard, yeah. an analysis was done of the law. Yeah. Whether you agreed with it or not. Yeah. Not everything always goes your way. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're a good person. Mhm. Yeah. I had a judge tell me once that if you make a decision and nobody's happy, that's a good decision. Because somebody is always going to be unhappy, right? <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. yeah. Especially it's an adversarial system people forget about for a reason. Yeah. So if I have a prosecutor and a defense attorney in my courtroom, they're both arguing. Guaranteed they're arguing for different things. <laughs> Guaranteed sometimes it's miles apart. Yeah. You could have somebody saying, my client should get a PR bond this person should go to jail with no bond. Like it could be that extreme, you know, no matter what you decide, usually somebody is going to be unhappy about something. I mean, do you think they just kind of start like at the extreme and then they, they hope to come somewhere in the middle that you, you, you decide something in the middle for them? Sometimes I do wonder that. Yeah. Or I would like to ask attorneys that, but it would be improper for me to do that. But sometimes, (laughs) sometimes, you know, you always had those like million dollar questions where you're like, I wonder, or sometimes when I think I can read between the lines, but uh, they're not saying that directly that I want to ask, were you really trying to say this? Like, is this a message you're trying to send, but you didn't come out and say that? Or what was the true, you know, fact behind that? Did you really know this or did, but, but I can never know. Like yeah. I have more questions than answers a lot of times. <laughs> and that's frustrating too, honestly, because sure. yeah. there are things that I want to know, but I can only make a decision on what's provided to me. Yeah. And it's not like you can just ask it like it's an open discussion. Yeah. Right? Like, Hey, let's, let's be real. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Your job would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that you would want to do it again. But <laughs> <laughs> more power to you. I'm happy that you're running, and I, I wish you. you the best. Is there anything else? We've been going for over an hour. Have we really? We have. God, well, first of all, you're super easy to talk to. I you, try to be. You ask great questions. Well, thank you. Uh, you're also really helpful in trying to... You know, not just keep the conversation type of going, but also coming back to things. Yeah, you know, I so, try to be. Um, it's been really, honestly, just a pleasure and really easy to talk to you. So Awesome. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast, and thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I wish you the best. When is the election? I don't have a primary because I have one opponent. Okay. If there was more than one opponent. Who's the opponent? His name is Ryan Tetloff. He's an assistant prosecutor. Okay. Uh, He's been with the prosecutor's office for a little over seven years, and he decided to file close to the the deadline, like the last day of the deadline. And so then I found out about it from somebody else. Um, So I feel like 
it hasn't really come up, but I feel like people may ask me why, and I I really don't know because he, he didn't come and talk to me about it beforehand. Maybe that's an old school kind of thing, but I just feel like that would be, Is he, you know, respectable or, yeah. you know. Hey, we're going to be running against each other. Yeah. <laughs> or just so I, yeah. you know, I like to think of it as this may sound like overconfident. I don't mean to sound this way at all, but I like to feel like maybe I'm making it seem too easy. Like the job is too easy or too great. That could be the case. They could be like, I can do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I want to do that now. <laughs> um, but so I really don't know. So since it's just uh, one opponent that I have, we don't have a primary. So okay. go all the way to November. And wow, so that's a long time. I'll be on the November ballot. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Well, get out and vote. And uh, this is your, your judge here in Eaton County. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. I really appreciate yep. it. Thank you.